Okay, the day of Pentecost. Now, this is an incredible day for the church. In a sense, this is our Mother's Day because the mother of all churches was that community of believers that came into being on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. But what does it mean? Well, usually when people think about Pentecost, they think about, you know, what you call Pentecostal things, like speaking in tongues, and well, well, that's about it really. But actually, there's a lot more to it. And what I'd like us to do this morning is explore Pentecost and what's the point of it? What is it about? So let's read the passage. It's in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that's Pentecost. Those astonishing events and the significance of them as declared by the Apostle Peter. Now, most of that is quite exciting stuff to read, but you do notice the attention lagging at a certain point, and it's that point at which you get those lists of names 
of places. It starts in Jerusalem, that's simple enough, we know about Jerusalem, but then you get all these other places, Parthia, Media, Elam, Mesopotamia, all those places with strange names. And you may wonder, why did Luke, the writer of Acts, even bother to put them in? I mean, surely he'd made his point. There were people in Jerusalem from all over the place. Enough said, surely. But then he throws in all those terms that are just so difficult to get your tongue round if you're trying to read them today. What was the point of all those different places? And why were people from those places in Jerusalem? Because we think, of course, of Jerusalem as the center of Jewish faith and life. Well, these were very significant people. They were diaspora people, people who'd been scattered around the world. In Jesus' day, it's reckoned that at least three-quarters, maybe seven-eighths of all people of Jewish ethnicity actually didn't live in what we now call Israel or Palestine. They were scattered around the world. It had started way back in the time of the exile and the captivity, and then it had continued through the intervening centuries so that by the New Testament period, there were Jewish communities all over the Mediterranean world from North Africa through Arabia, Persia, what's now Iraq and Iran, up through what was called Asia Minor into Europe as far as Rome and beyond. Throughout this Mediterranean world, there were Jewish communities. And those Jewish communities continued to have their hearts set on Jerusalem. And they would hope at least once in their lives to make that pilgrimage to Jerusalem so that they could be with the people of God, worshiping Him in their own city, in the temple which was the heart of their faith. And so every festival time, Jerusalem filled up with people from around the world who were coming to be part of the worship of God in, in that place. Now, Pentecost was one of, the, one of the series of festivals that took place. There was the Passover, and of course, at this particular Passover, there had been that event of the death of Jesus, and then the resurrection. But those who were in Jerusalem for Passover, because it's, you know, it's a long trip, it would take a long time to go, and they stayed for a while, and they stayed for the next festival, which was Pentecost. Pentecost, 50 days on, was, in a sense, a harvest festival. It was the festival of the first fruits. I mean, people would grow their crops, but then the first fruit of the harvest would be brought in, and this was not just something to rejoice over because it was food and drink in its own right, but it was especially significant because the first fruits were the proof, the evidence, the promise of an even bigger harvest to come. I saw that in Brazil. We were working in the Amazonian region, doing church planting work there amongst um, Portuguese-speaking Portuguese farmers. And one of them took me out to his little farm when he was going to gather in what he called the early harvest, the early rice. And he loved this early rice. It was planted a little before the main rice crop. And when he took in the early rice, and it was a good one, he said, this is wonderful. It shows that the conditions are right, and the big harvest when it comes is going to be huge. And that was the feast of the first fruits. 
the Pentecost festival. That initial harvest, which gave an indication that there was an even greater harvest to come. It was also, of course, a time when the grapes were gathered in. Some people called it the festival of new wine and um, a time of, of celebration. So, there, there would be many people in Jerusalem for this festival. But what was the point of Luke recording it all? Well, simply this, that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit empowered the believers in Jesus to proclaim what God had done, who was it who heard? Well, it was people from all over the world, as could be seen from that place. The point of Pentecost was the good news of Jesus, what God has done through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is for everybody. It's for the whole world. But the point is, how, how is the good news to reach all the world, even all those who were gathered there? Because the thing was that in diaspora communities then, as now, within a generation or two, people could rarely speak what they would call the language of their place of origin. And so, most people of Jewish ethnicity in the time of the New Testament couldn't actually speak Hebrew. It was still, of course, taught to the rabbis. There were still those who knew it and understood the Scriptures and so on. But most Jews had to use a Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, as their main Bible because they didn't understand Hebrew. When the, the New Testament writers and apostles went out through the ancient world, it was Greek that was the language, not Hebrew, with which they could communicate. And so, people spoke the languages of the places where they'd come from. Now, imagine going as a diaspora person to the place that you've always regarded as your home, back to Jerusalem, even though they'd never been there before in person. This was the place of story. This was the place of the memory of their family. This was the place to which they felt they belonged. And then they got there. It's such a disappointment. I was talking just recently to um, recently, um, thanks to one of your members here, Dave Wallace, I was on my way to India. As you know, he's good at arranging to get people out of the country and, and sent around the place. And, and I was heading to India on, on a short-term trip. And so, before I went, I, I was um, in the bank and I came across an Indian woman. And so, I was talking to her. She said, where are you going? I said, oh, India. She said, oh, yeah, that's where I'm from. Said, wonderful. So, where were you born? Well, Auckland, you know, naturally. Um, and of course, she, she is. She's, um, her parents were uh, Indian, but she's born and brought up here in Auckland. She said, Well, I went, actually, I went back last year. I said, How did you find it? She said, Oh, it was really disappointing because I thought I was going home. But when I arrived, they treated me like a foreigner. You know, I couldn't speak the language. I didn't understand the culture. It looked odd to me. You know, I was sort of shocked as much as any, any Westerner by what I, what I found there. It just felt so strange. To tell the truth, you know, I've never felt at home in New Zealand because I look foreign, and then I went to where I thought was my home and found that they regard me as an outsider. So, I, I don't know where I belong. Now, isn't that just the diaspora experience? You feel you don't really belong anywhere. Now, imagine these poor people 
from all around the world in these diaspora Jewish communities, and they come to Jerusalem thinking, at last, Jerusalem, the city of my heart. I'm here. I'm home. But they're standing in Jerusalem looking around saying, I'm here. And the locals are saying, hey, get out of the way. These tourists blocking up the streets. You know, we've got a market to get to. We've got a life to live. Every year it's the same. All these foreigners come in and they cram the streets and they cause problems for us. And then they would go to the temple. And, well, okay, the, the first few words of the service they probably understand. There's certain, you know, key terms and expressions that you remember. But as the service went on, they'd feel utterly lost. Don't know what's going on. They can't understand Hebrew. They feel alienated. And what a disappointment to be there regarded as foreigners in the place they thought was their home, unable to participate, feeling they don't even know what's going on when God is being worshipped until, until that day, that Pentecost day, when they're there in the streets of Jerusalem or moving towards the temple, and they suddenly hear, each of them suddenly hears his or her own language, the language of the place they were brought up, the language that they speak to their friends, the language that they have in their heart. They each heard in their own language the wonderful works of God being proclaimed. Now, you know what it's like, many of you, to be in a place where, you know, the usual language isn't yours, but then you hear your language, or you hear your accent or dialect. The Greek word is the dialectos, the dialect. And yet you feel, oh my goodness, there's a connection here. There's somebody here from my place. And they would look around and say, no, there's nobody here from Parthia or Media. There's nobody here from Arabia. Or, These are Galileans. You know, they're, they're from up north. What do they know? How is it that these people are speaking my language? And of course, the reason is that God was making sure that from day one, the message and the mission of His people was to be for everyone. And the miracle of Pentecost was that everyone who was there heard the message as if it was just for them, because it came in a way that connected with them and that was in their language. How did God do that? Well, He did it by using all of His people. Yes, Peter gave the sermon, but it wasn't Peter who got their attention. What got their attention was the fact that for each person, each visitor in Jerusalem, there was someone who was speaking in a language that connected with him or with her. That's God's plan. To all and through all. To all the world, but through all of God's people. That's what Peter explained when he got up to speak. He said, listen, this is what God said He would do. He says, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all people. Now, the Spirit had been poured out in the Old Testament. The Spirit had been at work on particular people for special occasions, for specific tasks. But the difference now is that Jesus has ascended as King and He has poured out His Spirit to continue His work, His mission upon the earth, and it is on every one of Jesus' people that the Spirit is now resting and is at work. That's the difference, and that is the wonderful truth that Pentecost witnesses to. 
Each person who knows Jesus Christ is empowered by the Spirit of God to be part of God's mission in the world. And Peter spells it out, quoting from Joel, the prophet. He says it'll be on both men and women, on the old and on the young, even on the slaves. So, no matter what your gender, no matter what your age, no matter what your status or condition or place in society, every one of you who is a follower of Jesus is one on whom the Holy Spirit rests to empower you to be part of what God is doing in the world. And that was the astonishing fact of Pentecost. God was taking up all His people and making every one of them part of what he was doing. Now, we could rephrase Acts 2, couldn't we? And there were dwelling in Auckland people from all the nations of the world. Now, I wonder if God has a particular purpose for New Zealand. I can certainly say with utter confidence that God does special things with diaspora people. And the thing is that all of us in New Zealand are diaspora people. Whether you go back centuries to when the first Maori canoes came, or not so far back to when the uh, European settlers, the, the Polynesian immigrants, and in more recent times, the various parts of um, Southeast Asia and, and elsewhere, we, we all come from somewhere. You know, we're all people who are on the move. People say to me, oh yeah, I'm Scottish as well. I say, oh really? I said, oh yeah, yeah, my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather came on a boat in um, 1852, so all right. But they still sense that they're diaspora people. Now, diaspora people are people who are very crucial to God's plan. Look at the book of Acts. Diaspora people were those who first responded to the gospel people who were displaced, who were out of their normal region, out of their comfort zone, somewhere different. Things were happening in their lives. They'd been on the move, and that opened them up to the new things that God was doing. Before very long in the book of Acts, we find that the church is a diaspora community scattered abroad through persecution, not through circumstances they would have chosen, but God's purpose was in it, sending them out. And as they went, they went simply gossiping the gospel explaining why they were there, explaining what had happened in their lives and in their community. And thus, God spread abroad this good news that is for all people and for all the world. What is God's purpose for us? Well, I'm convinced that there must be some purpose in the fact that into this country have come people from so many places and from such different cultures, and from so many nations. And in this country already, right where we are, there are, as it were, the nations of the world who need to hear in their own language, sometimes literally their own language, but certainly in a way in which they can connect, they need to hear that the good news of Jesus is for them. And this is happening. And you know it's happening. Some of you experience it personally, that you come and in this place you hear good news that you didn't know before. 
And this is happening all over our country. And particularly, um, we find it among students in, in Auckland. So many come from overseas, many find faith here. And then sometimes they're scattered again and back they go, but carrying good news to places from where they've come. So what about every nation under heaven right here? Well, the same principle applies to all the world. Pentecost calls us to look up and see the nations whom God has gathered into this land. And it calls us to step up and be those through whom God will bring His grace and love and mercy and truth to those who are right here in our communities. In a sense, Pentecost is still a harvest festival. Remember what Jesus said to His disciples? Lift up your eyes, look at the fields, they're white, ready for harvest. Pentecost, the feast of the harvest, and the call to us to step up and be part of it. Now, of course, it's a big ask. How do you actually connect with all those people? Well, this is the thing. Everybody's needed. The wonderful thing about the day of Pentecost was each person, each believer in Jesus was enabled by God to connect with somebody that the other believers couldn't connect with. They didn't all speak all the languages. They all spoke one, and that one was enough to impact a group of people that they alone, they uniquely were equipped to connect with. There's a picture there of the way God works. How does God spread the good news of Jesus? Not just through pastors, not just through specially designated missionaries, it's through all of God's people. And then, as now, every one of us is involved. So we don't need to say, well, actually, if I was a man, I'd be able to speak, but obviously I'm a woman. That's, that's not me, you know, I'm just kind of saying, hypothetically, if that's what one was thinking. <laughs> but what did Joel promise in the Old Testament? What did Peter reiterate? What did God prove on the day of Pentecost? Men and women are alike used by God in reaching others for Him. But if you say, well, if I was a bit older, I'd be okay, or, oh, I'm too old now, I'm past it, if I was a bit younger. No, on the old and on the young, my spirit will be poured out. What about those who are saying, well, it's okay for those who are important people, have some status in society, but look at me, I'm in a real scummy job, I'm at the bottom of the pile. Even on my slaves, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. It's on each one of us, and each one of us is uniquely gifted by God to reach somebody that other Christians, no matter how significant or important or well-equipped, are not able to reach. That's how God reaches all the world. It's through all of His people, and that's His promise. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. That's the point of Pentecost, the empowering for the good news of Jesus to reach others through us. And how does this power come in? Well, you look at the harvest and you think, what a big job, how challenging, how daunting, how difficult, how can we do this? Well, Pentecost is basically God giving us the equipment to do the job. 
It's, oh, it's like you look at this big field, there's this harvest to be gathered in, but there's so much, and you think of always plucking all these ears of corn, but then you hear this great churning noise, and up comes the combine harvester, and you say, oh, wonderful. So we actually have the tools to do the job. I suppose it's not a very, um, it's not a very elegant picture, but maybe the Holy Spirit is like the combine harvester for the harvest that God wants us to gather in. The Holy Spirit is the empowering that God gives so that it's not just in our own strength. It's not as if we're all setting out on our hands and knees to pluck a few corns here and there, but God's Holy Spirit gives us power to achieve that which on our own we wouldn't have a hope of achieving. Now, the, the tragedy is that probably many Christians today are thinking, okay, Pentecost, and they're not thinking power to serve God. They're thinking, oh, bit of fun for me. You know, maybe a little bit of a boost in my spiritual life. You know, imagine if a farmer sent people out to bring in a harvest, and he provided at great cost a wonderful combine harvester like this fine specimen you see on the screen. And the little group of harvesters got together, and they said, wow, fantastic machine, what power, what beauty, how wonderful. We better not get this messed up. Let's put it in the garage. Bit hard to fit in a garage, but they squeeze it in. And then, you know, maybe once a week, they open the door and everybody can come in and have a little look at it. I think, hmm, yeah, haven't we got a great combine harvester? This is wonderful. Our God is so good, He gives us the combine harvester. And then you could even, you know, every now and again, just turn the key and hear the engine begin to turn over. Vroom, vroom, vroom. I think, oh, this is exciting. Wow, this is a powerful machine. And then you can look at all the blades and think, wow, what these could achieve. And then, before too long, it's time for a cup of tea, and off you go again. But you say, I'll be back next week. I want another look at that combine harvester. And so it goes on. But out there, the harvest is still waiting to be reaped. And people are still toiling away, trying to pluck a stalk here and there, and thinking, oh boy, this is such hard work. Such hard work, in fact, that I'm really looking forward for that day when I can get back in the garage and have another little look at the combine harvester, I'll feel a bit better, and I'll feel more able to carry on with my toilsome, wearisome work. That's not what God gives the Spirit for. If you want to experience the Spirit of God at work, get out there! Get out into the harvest. That's what happened in the book of Acts. Yeah, there was that great experience on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, but then we see the Holy Spirit at work in other situations. When they're under pressure, when the apostles are on trial, when they're being persecuted, that's when the Holy Spirit gives them words to say so that those who hear are astonished and they say, where did they learn to do that? They must have been with Jesus. When they need guidance, when the Holy Spirit is directing them outwards in mission, when the Holy Spirit is opening doors and shutting doors, that's when they experience God at work. When they're out and suddenly they're in situations where they're out of their comfort zone, like Peter in the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, feeling so uneasy, feeling so strange, saying, look, I, I don't know if I should really be here. 
This is strange. This is not what I am used to. That's where he sees God at work by his Spirit and gets a bigger picture of who God is and what God is doing in the world. That's what it is for us. It's when we get out there, on the edge, in the places where we're vulnerable, where we feel awkward, where we're out of our own comfort zone, where we really need God to guide and direct, that's where we experience God at work. So, this is Pentecost. What's it about? It's a call to look up and see all the world, because God wants all the world to hear His good news. And it's a call to step up and be part of that whole group of all His people whatever our age, our gender, our work situation, whatever our condition in life, we're all among those whom God now empowers to be part of what He is doing in the world. And believe me, each one of you is uniquely placed to do a part of that work that nobody else here can do. Thank God for Pentecost. Thank God for the good news of Jesus that is for all the world. Thank God that it is grace, it is through all of His people that that news reaches them. 